Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. Masculine tops, power bottoms, butch girls, femme boys, bears, otters, unicorns. There's no shortage of labels that queer people use to describe different sexual identities and preferences. But how do we navigate that horny, thorny path between realizing we're queer and deciding which boxes to check when filling out our dating profiles? Fruit Bowl features first-person stories that explore the unique ways we develop our sexual identities by sharing the sometimes messy, always fascinating, real-life sex histories of queer people. Our first introduction to sex, the embarrassing moments we'd like to forget, and the reliable bedroom moves that we've discovered along the way. Basically, all the stuff we wish we'd known when we first came out. Interviews are edited for clarity and brevity because we all know how much we love to talk about ourselves. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. Welcome to Fruit Bowl. I'm Dave, your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl. And today is a very special episode. This is a season one wrap up where we are reflecting back on different moments from season one. And with me today is Jason. Hey. Hello. Uh, welcome. I'm, I'm excited that you're here because you were our first interview subject for mm-hmm. season one. So you were our introduction to Fruit Bowl. So I'm so glad you're here today okay. to celebrate the end of season one. But before uh, we launch into the different segments that reflect on the different moments in the season, I just want to first uh, talk a little bit about your life as a porn star. (laughs) (laughs) Go right ahead. (laughs) Luckily, uh, as Jason stated before we started recording, he's an open book. I just have a little list of questions here. Because, I mean, we know each other as friends, Mm -hmm. but I have never really had a conversation with you about this part of your life. I could talk about this for hours. (laughs) (laughs) I am fascinated by it, though, because I think it's a really unique sort of evolution of porn in that performers can be their own producers own studios and producers now Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, back uh, when I was probably 33 34 I applied to maybe 10 different studios like Mm. I sent them pictures and emails porn studios yeah and I got turned down by every one of them because maybe you didn't well I'm I'm a a little bit a heavier guy I'm hairy Uh, I'm not and I'm not super muscular Mm -hmm. so if you're not their version of what is hot, they don't want to work with you. And and yeah. some of them were nice about it. Some of them were quite rude. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, but it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I just did my own thing for free for forever. And uh, then I found out about uh, fan sites, and uh, uh, someone talked me into starting one, and uh, it's been going very very well. Yeah, it seems like a natural progression for you, having already done it before. Well, I had, yeah, I had built up a huge base on Tumblr and mm-hmm. XTube, just making my own stuff for fun, yeah, and for free. And um, uh, but now you know it's nice to get paid for it, so I can travel and meet the people that I want to work with. Um, it's made it a lot easier to uh, to do that. First, I want you to just sort of explain what kind of porn you make and and how it works exactly. Uh, Well, so now I have been making uh, amateur porn um, pretty regularly for about a year and a half, maybe two years. Although I've been doing it for almost uh, 12. 
Um, it's a much more regular schedule mm -hmm. these days, uh, where um, it's it's all amateur. It's it's a lot of dad son role play. Yeah. Um, but I like to to uh, work with guys of all types. I just don't think there's a lot of representation out there for, mm -hmm. or they didn't used to be, for different kinds of uh, guys or people in general. And I think that the fan sites and uh, the new model of porn has um, like opened that up to a lot more possibilities. How would you describe your brand? Uh, well, I'm. I'm just mostly kind of a, a soft dom, is what they call me. <laughs> I love it. <that laughs> I term. learned that from someone a few months ago. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard that term, but I love it. <laughs> There's a lot of cuddling, um, and also hardcore fucking. But uh, uh, I don't know. I I just I really like all the people that I have sex with, and I, I don't. For me, it's much more exciting to um, showcase like how beautiful they are. Mm. Uh, and so there's not a lot of degradation, not a lot of that for me, but, um, it's a lot of cuddling, kissing, and then, uh, fucking a lot of verbal role play. Right. And you're usually assuming a sort of a, the top a, role, the top, the dad, the, the authoritarian. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you could like say that. Yeah. One clip that I saw that you made, which I loved was, was your admonishing the young man for playing video games. Yeah, he was very excited about uh, doing like a, a scene. But I don't yes. do a lot of scenes, right? Uh, but that one we kind of cooked up, and, and it, it worked out really well. People seem to really enjoy it. So you were already making these films um, for fun, for free before you started this sort of. I did. Well, I was just up. posting fun little clips I, I can't even say that i ever posted a full like what you would call a movie before yeah most of my clips were two and three minutes mostly because i'm just an exhibitionist okay that was my next yeah question. and i really enjoyed knowing that people were uh watching them and yes. getting off to them and like the comments and, and the messages from people really kept me going right like i feel like maybe with other performers who are only doing it for money it would feel less authentic yeah i mean because I you have this sort of <laughs> exhibitionist side that that yeah sort of naturally comes it's just something i've i ever since i got a phone with mm -hmm. a camera on it and i even had an old video camera like yeah. a big handheld video camera i used to set next to the bed uh phones are way easier <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah. to use during sex but uh yeah, no, I, I've always enjoyed filming myself and filming the sex I have, and it's super fun. And to me, it's it's just always been a part of that process of like having sex because I want to document it for myself mostly. Um, and also, I, I love showing friends, <laughs> <laughs> like what I've been up to. Right. Um, so that's why I want my videos to have that feel. I want them to feel like somebody sent you this to say like oh look what i did last night it was super fun you yeah enjoy it <laughs> so when you're having sex and making a video you're also holding the phone you're your own i would operator. say nine times out of ten i'm holding a phone mm -hmm. uh, i've gotten really good at holding it uh steady and 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 focus on the right parts yeah um, i use tripods on occasion but i i really don't like the static like feel of a camera across the room. I feel like that's what old porn used to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm mostly making these videos for me yeah. to watch later. So I just focus on the parts that I like. And happily, there's people that like those parts as well. For me, that would be the hardest part is to be in the moment with your partner and engaged, but then also 
be trying to operate a camera. Yeah. And it's like using two separate parts of your I brain. I think because I've done it for so long and I was doing it as part of the sex act. That, yeah. Uh, for me, it's it's it seems very, it, it feels natural to me. And I think I've heard from from a lot of the people that I've filmed with that they love it because they don't have to worry about it. And and mm. I don't think that it really like it comes into their focus at all. Well, They're just having a good time, and I'm doing the the work, but I enjoy it, so it doesn't feel disruptive mm -hmm. to me. But you're also able to do both at the same time. Yeah, like absolutely. If, if you were distracted, then your partners probably well. Would be more I think what's more distracting is when people are trying to change cameras and change mm -hmm. lighting, and it might have a very like DIY feel to them. But that's part of the appeal, right? It I, feels like it's just your experience. I, you know, that's the that's what I want it to feel like. Yeah, and uh, and that's what it is. And you do all <laughs> your own editing. I do everything. <laughs> I do everything. When when I which is not as much fun as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking hard. And, I mean, if any, if anybody knows, it's me. Um, but when in, in episode one, when I introduced you, I, I introduced you as a, a porn impresario. Yeah, I really like that. I really <laughs> want to get a business card that says that. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, you are like your own studios. So well, it's interesting. I just I feel like I just like I've kind of fallen into it. It, it wasn't a contrived plan from the beginning it just was like the next natural step yeah and uh and yeah and it's been amazing so you are also an accomplished woodworker my my entertainment center in my <laughs> living room is made by you are you tempted sometimes to just like not do that for now and no, only just do your films i'm not yeah and i've had a lot of people ask me like why i keep um building furniture um but I, to me i i just I, I, I mean, I could definitely do this full-time now, like the porn, but um, building and designing furniture is my first love, and, it, and it, I feel like that's an integral part of myself, and uh, I don't want to lose that. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long this is going to last right. with the porn. I mean, I I feel like I, I will find... There's a market for what I do, always, but I'm worried that there won't be platforms mm. for it. Mm -hmm. Because everything is becoming so closed and so puritanical, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really don't trust the internet. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like YouTubers who who you know they change the algorithm or or YouTube changes a a rule, and some people and you just up, lose your entire livelihood, yeah. like what happened on Tumblr. Mm -hmm. um, and you know you can't even talk about sex on Facebook or yeah I, it's a very strange world we're living in it is. I thought the internet was like the wild west but it turns out it's I don't know I've talked in previous episodes about my struggles with Facebook and the there yeah I mean and you don't do anything controversial in my opinion yeah I don't even have video or or but photo. even like in this day and age, talking about sex yeah. is like an act of rebellion. They've even outlawed now um, emojis that are sexual. Oh, that's exactly right. Which but I was just you can stupid post lies about political com components. That's completely yeah. fine. No, I know it's a sick world. <laughs> Have it you ever... sucks to be getting to get older and see the world change. I know, and 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 like you said, it does seem as though we're like we're moving towards a more puritanical. Yeah. culture whereas i i thought that the internet would be i thought it would change everything and like blow the doors off of mm -hmm. religion and 
monogamy, <laughs> like right. all these like old-fashioned traditions that we yeah cling to as a society. But mm-hmm. um, for the moment, they seem to be like holding their own. But we'll yeah. see. Who knows? Everything changes. <laughs> what What upsets me is that all of this sort of um, rewriting of what is and is not acceptable. It it they they frame it in a way that is supposed to make it look like they're being more inclusive and more open and and making the world a better place when actually it's it's closing off oh it's homogenizing everything mm-hmm. and it's terrible yeah and they don't even do it under the guise of religion which would sort of make sense yeah in my brain if they were saying well jesus thinks that we shouldn't talk about this all right you're just a religious organization but they don't bring that i don't i don't understand if you're not bringing religion into it why you would be so opposed to sexuality yeah has there ever been a time where you felt obligated to make a film and you didn't want to <laughs> no <laughs> see this is why you're so good at your job <laughs> this is why this medium is so perfect for you you seem to always be Ready I'm always up it. for it. <laughs> I mean, I've never, I've hardly ever seen a penis that I, I didn't enjoy. I did massage for 12 years. Okay. And uh, some of it was like a, an erotic massage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really taught me that, like, people who I might not think are the hottest people, like, physically, that that does not discount the fact that they have a sexual energy that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, but that being said, like, I generally choose who I work with. Mm-hmm. So I call the shots. Almost always, and uh, I don't do studio porn, even though they've asked. Yeah. <laughs> now. <laughs> right. Now they're come knocking on your right. door. Right. I don't. I won't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want someone else to be in control. The few yeah. times that I've let someone else hold a camera or run the show, like I just don't enjoy it. Yeah. Well, it makes sense though if if you have this background in massage and and you're you've come from a natural place of just filming yourself during sex with partners, you've always been one-on-one with people. So it would make sense that a studio-type situation wouldn't really be... Yeah, and I, I have ha- I have made videos of people who have, like, multiple cameras going and lights, and uh, yeah. it's very distracting to mm-hmm. me. And also, the end product is very disappointing. Like, I want the camera an inch from what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to look at it from across the room. Yeah. That feels very 1990 to me. <laughs> and and uh, kind of unnecessary now that we have yeah, iPhones. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand why that's still the norm. Well, because people aren't creative. <laughs> you said that, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 get, I get so frustrated as a filmmaker watching bad porn where it's not edited or shot well. I get distracted by that and frustrated and it ends up not being very... Satisfying. Yeah, I just do what I can to bring people into the action because that's mm-hmm. where I want to be when I'm. I basically just make the porn that I want to watch, right? And happily, there are other people that like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now I certainly do watch it. Yeah, you know, my own stuff. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, how can people find you online? You can uh, go to OnlyFans. Okay. It's the address I can yeah do too. it so it's uh onlyfans.com real men full bush <laughs> which was the name of my tumblr blog 12 years ago when <laughs> i just started copying and saving pictures of guys with you know 
pubic hair, which I like. Uh, I had no idea people would like identify me as that. Twelve years later, it is weird to be called that in a bar in a place I've never been. <laughs> um, but but that's also, why I changed my name to Seattle Dad okay. on Twitter. Yeah, uh, but it's still at Real Men Full Bush. So okay, okay. It's, it's it. It makes me giggle every time I say it. <laughs> I did want to tell you that when I first moved here and we became friends, I think there was a picture of uh, us on, on Instagram or something, and uh, a friend of mine from L.A. was like, Oh, my God, you know Seattle, Dad? <laughs> well, yes, you do. I was, like, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's such a better name than Real Men Full Bush. I like Real Men Full Bush. It was laying in bed, like, creating a Twitter account, like, 12 years ago, and I was like, I like men, and I like... Bush. So yeah. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> no clue that I'd have like 120,000 followers on there. <laughs> on Twitter? On Tumblr. Oh, on Tumblr. <laughs> so people can find you on Twitter by the same handle. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. If you just Google Real Men Full Bush, you'll find me. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for letting me ask you some questions about that. I'm sure our listeners are going to love that. Yeah. Um, it's always fun to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Fruit Bowlers. This episode was too long, so I decided to archive the rest of my conversation with Jason on our Fruit Bowl Patreon account. I'll include a link to the interview in this episode's description. If you're a fan of Jason's, you won't want to miss out on our conversation, where we discuss his evolution from Tumblr blogger to OnlyFans porn star. He also discusses how he finds his scene partners and adventures he's had interacting with fans in Chicago and Paris. Other topics include what he doesn't want to show in his porn and what his dad's reaction was when he told him he was making porn. Plus, this week's lunchtime poll with a question that Jason came up with. Check it out. Now back to the show. All right, we're going to get into it. Um, I'm excited for this format, um, having never tried this before. Um, so what we're going to do is I'm going to play different excerpts from this past season. Just These are just moments that I've chosen that I think are are awesome sort of examples of, of people getting real and saying things that I think are, are unique observations about sex and stuff. Um, this is very unscientific. I just sort of chose things after going through each interview. And, um, yeah, we're just going to play them, and then Jason and I will we'll talk a little bit about each one. Okay, so the first one is actually you. <laughs> <laughs> so here is Jason talking about his first time. Uh, well, I grew up in White Rock Lake, which is like central Dallas. Um, I actually um, gave my first blowjob to a stranger at a bathroom at White Rock when I was probably 15. Well, I was um, uh, riding my bike around the lake and I had to stop in and, and use the restroom. I didn't know about cruising or anything like that. I, I did notice that that bathroom always seemed to have like people in it. Um, <laughs> so I just parked my bike, went inside, and um, went up to the urinal, started to pee, and then uh, a, a guy, came to the urinal next to me and, and um, but he wasn't peeing, like he was just stroking his dick. And uh, I got very excited. <laughs> I was probably 15 and he must have been 23, but he seemed like a, you know, an older man, an adult. And he was really furry and uh, I reached out and touched it and he just pushed me to my knees and I blew him. 
and it was really exciting. It was like the best day of my life. And then when we were done, I asked if we could hang out. <laughs> Maybe go see a movie. I didn't know. And he said that his uh, wife wouldn't like that too much and like sped off in his car. So it was my first introduction to like cruising and uh, people being secretive and it was exciting. I loved it. And I rode my bike there a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not always successful, but sometimes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, I was hooked. <laughs> I ended up living with uh, my partner, Matt, for 10 years in a house, maybe five minutes from where the house I grew up in. And we lived directly across the street from that bathroom. So it was like coming home. <laughs> The reason I love this clip is I admire the fact that you can look back at that moment and describe it as being the one of the best moments of your life. Because <laughs> I feel like often people would, would project a lot of negativity towards that scenario. And I think that it's all external. A lot of that is so external from mm -hmm. other people telling them that they shouldn't, like that should not have happened to me. Yeah. But or, or that you were... Or I was abused in some mm -hmm. way, but like I was already doing that with friends, uh -huh. and he didn't like I was the aggressor in that situation, right? And like it didn't hurt me, yeah, at all. <laughs> and in in a way, it may have been validating. I just felt like a, an adult for a moment, mm -hmm. and it was really amazing. And I had been having like I'd been doing that with so many friends who were my age to know that like a man. Like, you could still do that with people you didn't know. It's just, I think that was what blew my mind, mm. is that I could do that with strangers. I didn't have to invite a friend over to spend the night and then have this whole pretense of, like, right, uh, you know, hanging out. We're going to spend the night. We're going to cut, you know, we're, I'm going to give you a massage. Or, mm. oh, it, it was such a fucking, like, hassle most of the time, <laughs> you know. And then you still couldn't talk about it with those people either. Right. So, like, it was way better for me just to go and do it there and then get it out of my system and go home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing was different. Those people still rejected me in that same way, even though they were friends of mine. Oh, I see where you're saying. Not rejected, but, like, I, I can never say to a friend that, of, of the, all of the friends that I had sex with in high school, and I could never say to them, hey come over on Friday night and like, let's fool around. Mm. No, like that, ne that word that never came out of my mouth. I see. It was always shrouded in like this. We're going to just hang out and mm -hmm. spend the night and watch movies. And we knew, we both knew we were going to get off in the middle of the night, but we could never talk about it. And yeah, that was no different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was just a guy getting off and like, Okay, we're done. Right. <laughs> go your way. I'll go mine. In a way, it was less complicated. Way less complicated. More, more clear. And you expect that from a stranger and not a friend. I'm so happy today. I have friends who I can like call up and be like, "Hey, come over. Let's fuck." Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to like schmooze them into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but no, I never felt ever felt bad about any of that. I yeah. felt great about all of it. I love that you feel great about it because because I also cruised as as a teenager and I've felt so much shame over the years about it. Um, <clears throat> but actually, doing this podcast has helped me. Seems more... like it's a, a common theme among a lot of people. Yes, but I I guess for me, I've become more accepting of it and more open about it. 
and less uh, less judgmental of myself for having done it. Good. Um, because I realized that just a lot of other people do it too. Yeah. You know, and I think at the time I thought that those men represented what was my destiny in a way. Like I was going to end up being lonely and in middle aged and cruising parks, but that was not the case, you yeah. know? Um, so there's a certain amount of clarity. I can now look back and think, well, my life went a very different way, but I did start out doing that. And I think I learned a lot about people and humanity, <laughs> you know, and, and also sexuality and how it doesn't really discriminate. Yeah. Like there's so many different kinds of people who are queer, who, who or who are bisexual. Who well, have... I, I think massage taught me that same lesson. Mm. I couldn't believe the, the guys that would come and get a massage. and Not not all of them wanted a hand job at the end. A lot of, so many married guys wanted me just to lay on top of them mm. and not have sex. But they, like, they half the massage, they would stop me and say, could you just lay on top of me and hold me? Wow. Yeah, and it, they would cry. It was beautiful. That's amazing. And I know they had wives. It was just something they couldn't get mm -hmm. from her. Mm. Uh, maybe I made their marriages better. Maybe I, I didn't. I don't, I don't know. I made them happy for that moment in time. Wow. That's amazing. I love that story. Yeah, it was... I was not as connected to human beings as I was after I did massage. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was very insular with my friends and just I had a little group. Mm -hmm. But at doing massage, I, it really opened my mind up to like what is sexuality and what is sex even. Right. You know, that it doesn't have like... to be insertion. It can be anything. Yeah, mental. it could just be touch. That's yeah. sometimes enough for people. I think I learned that cruising parks was that... Uh, very rarely was it like the full on menu. Oh, full course. on menu. Yeah, because it really couldn't. I didn't be. even know you could do that till college. Yeah, I had no clue you could put your dick into a person's butt. Well, also, <laughs> <laughs> no idea. <laughs> it never occurred to me to try it. <laughs> right, and well, also at public parks and cruising, yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually not, very hard. To right. Do that. I mean, as much as you think it's going to be sexy, it's it's kind of you a need pain. You need space. <laughs> you need space and a a, a good and a venue. Door. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, the other reason why I like that story specifically that it was at White Rock Lake, which was near the SMU campus, mm. and and I'll admit to cruising there once or twice during my undergrad years, um, and I know probably exactly the restroom that you're talking about. <laughs> and how crazy was that that you ended up moving into a home with your partner at the time? Yeah, we were looking for... Uh, I, I had moved into Matt's apartment when I met him, like, after a year. And after a year, I was like, I, have, I haven't lived in an apartment in a long time. I really want to go back to a house. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we found that place. It was fucking amazing. And it was just such a great party house. But they had it had three sets of French doors that opened onto a big deck. And that deck looked right at that bathroom. So every day I'd walk out there, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> but, you know, by then, I mean, maybe people hook up in there once or twice. But, like, it's... It's not the same. Yeah. Back back in the you know back then in the eighties, mm -hmm. it was just cars lined up the street. Yeah. Um, that whole area, that whole point. Um, what's that called? It's right off of Lake Highlands, mm -hmm. right? And you turn, and Sunset Point is what it's called. Mm -hmm. And you go and you go around that like a like a big teardrop shape. Yeah. Back when I was in high school, that was just 
50, 60 gay guys, like, on their cars, and they'd be, like, laying out on the hoods of their cars, or if they had a truck, they'd be laying out in the bed of their truck, and there'd be, like, dance music going on their jam boxes, and it was a fucking party all the time out there. Wow. A real Um, fucking party. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. It was... God damn it, I miss that kind of shit. (laughs) I really do. I'll admit that the Wichita scene was not as fun. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds awesome. Yeah, when I go back to Wichita now, I'll often drive by my old haunts, and they're not... At all There's populated. Not, they're, they're not with apps. Yeah. It's just nothing is cruisy anymore. Not yeah. the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. There's still places where people do it, but it's not it's not it doesn't it's not a celebration like it used to be. I need to refine my cruising skills. There's a little rusty having Well, it makes you nervous these days to talk to people. You want to just find them on an app, but Right. Um, Th- there's an expectation that if you see someone that's cute you yeah. can go online and find them somehow. But like the old-fashioned way still works. You can still talk to them. And if they're into it, they'll be very happy you did. <laughs> yes. You know, one thing I've found myself doing lately is going to bars alone. That's a good way to meet people. And just, yeah, and just like initiating conversation or or just like observing people and not being on my phone while I do it. I don't know why I've started to do that, but I guess maybe it is a sort of... Uh, a cleanser from all of the technological sort of interventions we've had when yeah. it comes to meeting people face to face. I like kind of observing people in the real world. And if you're out with a group of friends, it's really hard to mm-hmm. uh, do that because you're having fun with your friends. Yeah. And people are also intimidated to walk up to a group. They are. Okay, our next clip is from Lee. They're describing their first flirtation at a camp they went to as a kid. Let's listen. The first time I had like really strong queer attractions, actually my parents sent me to fat camp. And when I got there, I met this like fat, butch, Hispanic girl from like Sacramento. And I was like, done. I was like toast. I just like followed her around the next eight weeks between like water aerobics and weigh-ins. And um, I think everybody thought that we were like sleeping together because there was a double room open in our suite and the counselor like we were all the all of the people in the dorm were like let's make it like a fun and hangout room and then you saw the counselor's eyes like dart to us And she's like, I need to lock that door. (laughs) So nothing ever really happened outside of like stolen kisses. But that was my first like hardcore queer crush. Love at fat camp. (laughs) (laughs) It was all this time. (laughs) I just love that story because it's so innocent. It really is. And... They didn't end up actually doing anything, but it's also very sad because the adults shut it down before they could ever even like explore. Explore, right? You know, and I, I feel like it's a good example of how open young people are to connecting, or or they just get a sense that they would want to be with somebody who's like them or who who is in, inspiring to them, you know, and and then adults like 
get in the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And when you're an adult, like work gets in the way. Yeah. Uh, That is a cute story. Summer (laughs) camp is, uh, I have a lot of good memories of summer camp. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any sexy summer camp experiences? Um, No, they were all like that. Just like cute, innocent, like flirtations. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, you know, they could have led to something had mm-hmm. we had more free time. <laughs> but we were busy, you know, making crafts. <laughs> right. This wasn't the only camp flirtation story I've heard this season. So I feel like when young people go away, they have more license to explore oh, yeah. relationships. They can re reimagine themselves in a way. Um, well, you're with some. You're with people you've never seen before. They don't know you from school. You're yeah. in a new place. You can just, uh, yeah, you can recreate yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's fun. I always love that about camp. <laughs> yeah. I went to a theater camp between my junior and senior year. There probably weren't any gay people there. <laughs> <laughs> there were. There were su- surprising few of the students were out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of quasi out in that I didn't act heterosexual. But I do recall one of my resident advisors was an out gay man. And for me, that was so meaningful at that moment in my life. I was like, wow, somebody who's like out and proud and young and beautiful and doing his own thing on his own terms. That was like, it made a huge impression on me. Yeah, well, it's nice to see that one as an example. Yeah. yeah as a kid, it's important. I know. I wish, I wish Lee would have had better support at their fat camp. So this next clip is a legendary story by a legendary storyteller in Seattle, Jerry. Um, This is his famous story about his most embarrassing hookup that involved a Great Dane. Let's listen. (laughs) So I had to be around anywhere from 19 to 21. Um, I didn't have a car yet, so I had to be under 21. And I wasn't legal to get into bars, per se. I mean, we always found a way to get in. But uh, I met this guy at the piers, and it's killing me because I've been thinking about this all day. I can't remember his name, so we'll call him Rich, because he was a banker and had some money. And he lived on North Shore, Long Island, and me living on the South Shore. Um, We headed off. I fucked him in public. We exchanged numbers and we had, you know, our fare for like a year. And he would pick me up on like once a month. His wife would travel a lot and I would come over and look, 19, 20 years old, a date is Boone's Farm and Burger King. And here you have a a man that's red wine and steak and shrimp and a lot of cocaine. So I was in heaven. One night we're hanging out. And he was like, actually he called me before he was picking me up. He's like, I want you to fist me tonight. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. I have no access to, again, internet, any of that stuff. So I'm like, all right. And I come over and, you know, we're eating and drinking. And then he tells me what the hell that is. I'm like, oh, we're going to need a lot more cocaine for this. Again, it was the 80s. I mean, cocaine was like a Colombian hello. It was everywhere. So um, he's like, well, I got an eight ball. I was like, well, we're getting, what are you going to use? Because that's all for me. So we had two eight balls and we threw down. And one of the challenges about having sex with him is we would go back to his place and he, he had this great Dane that would love to watch as we fucked. And I love dogs. I, lo- I love most dogs, except this dog had like the bloodhound eyes 
I can't handle bloodhounds. I, I, they make me nervous. I'm like, how do I make you happy? You look sad all the time. So this dog would sit there, you know, watching us. And, you know, he'd be like, well, it's his house too. I'm like, this is creepy, but fuck it. So um, the time comes and, you know, I'm pretty high. And going in, I mean, I'm, I'm a young man, so you're limber. I'm able to get in and also do lines at the same time. And plugging away. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see the dog, like I see the dog, which creeps me out to begin with. It lets out like this weird noise and I just see it fall to its side. And I look over and it pisses and shits all over the floor. So both of us stop, we're like, what the fuck is happening? And then we realize the fucking dog dropped dead. So he's freaking the hell out. He jumps out of bed, totally freaked out neglecting to realize that my arm is up his ass, like my hand is holding on to his spinal cord at this point. So I go flying off the bed as he jumps out, click the nightstand, hit my head, buckets of blood everywhere. It's kind of like The Shining when the elevator doors open up and all the blood come out. He's on the floor crying, you know, poor dog's dead. I'm on the bed crying, not because I'm in pain, not because there's blood everywhere, not because we spilled the cocaine, but because your instinct, what is the first thing you do when you hurt yourself? You cover yourself and I promptly rubbed frothy shit all in my eyeball. It was awful. So that was our last date. It was the worst car ride home ever. I actually was too high to go home. He dropped me off at the Huntington train station. I took another eight ball and danced the night off in New York City. And yeah, that was the last time we saw each other. So. That would have to be it. You know, my worst sex experience. There you go. You'd heard that story before. I've heard that story. And I've heard it on your podcast, too. And um, it never gets old. (laughs) Uh, The unsinkable Jerry. Right? (laughs) A legend. Oh, my goodness. She's she's had a lot of lives, Jerry. That would have... uh, that would have wrecked anybody. Right? Yeah. I think people would have just like... Stopped having sex completely, mm-hmm. but... Um, just written it he off. Managed, he managed <laughs> to just go on. Maybe the cocaine helped. <laughs> I love that he danced the night off. <laughs> right? Oh. Well, after doing a whole eight ball. Oh, the 80s. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, I just... I love Jerry's storytelling abilities, and I'm I'm so jealous of them because he, he, he paints such a picture. I think I think maybe I should take some storytelling instruction. He brings you right in. He does. He brings you right into that nightmare. I think the accent really helps, Yeah, too. absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, that is a crazy story. Uh, I've never had anything like that happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I would do. Well, your, uh, your, your embarrassing story with the balloons was pretty good. But nobody died. No, no. <laughs> it was, a it dog was, was not sacrificed. No, it was strange. I don't like animals being in the room at all. Yeah. When I have sex. And I get really annoyed with people when you ask them to remove their animal mm-hmm. and they don't understand or they, they don't do it and they, they protest and I, it really, it's always going to be my last time. Yeah. 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 It, for sure. Is it is it because you're creeped out when the dog watches or the animal watches? Yeah, as, as much of an exhibitionist as I am, <laughs> I do not like animals watching. Um I also don't like it when they, like, sneak a lick. <laughs> like when you're not looking. And then there's a ball on your tongue, or a tongue on your ball. 
or <laughs> even on your foot. I just, it's not, I didn't invite them. Yeah. What <laughs> if the dog was in the corner sleeping, looking away from you? I have a dog, or I had a dog, and sometimes he would be in the room. Yeah. Uh, just because I was, like, living my life, and there's a dog there, yes. fine. But if I'm going to hook up with someone, and they can't be bothered to get their dog out of the room, then, you know, I, make me feel special. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. We've got some, some insight on yeah. hooking up with Jason yeah. now. Just, so. just give your dog some food and put him outside the door. It's not that hard. Give him a bone. Give right. that dog a bone. Right. Unless <laughs> unless he's paying the rent. It's your house. You can make the rules. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our next one. This next clip is from Tyler, and it's sort of about all of his early kinks and some unique crushes he had when he was in high school. <laughs> My first guy crush, I can remember when I was working at McDonald's, there was a manager. I don't know why I thought he was hot. And it was always like, he would always be working next to the fryer and he would always be really greasy. But I don't know, he just, he had this like goofy smile with like big dimples, bright blue eyes, and he had a goofy chuckle. I don't know, he had a huge bulge in his pants. I don't know if it was all balls or what, but I just loved checking him out. I was like, oh. That was my first guy crush, McDonald's. That was when I was 16. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit past um, my first girl crush. Um, but yeah, 16, I had that crush because I started working there and then went on to work at Walmart and got a couple crushes on these three college boys um, that were training to be managers at Walmart. And I was like, oh, they're going places. They're working at Walmart. They're getting educated. My first kink would be that I was infatuated with white boxer briefs and old-timey military movies. They always had the scene where they're all lined up in boot camp, they're all staying in their white cotton briefs, hard on, instantly just watching it. I'm just like, oh, yes, <laughs> daddy, military daddies. Mm. My first kink, love those underwear. Mm. I got a drumstick from a concert that I went to, and I was like, oh, I think I might like to put something in my butt. I'm not too sure, but this might feel good. Who knows? And I did that. I was like, with the drumstick, because there was no sexual education for homos in the Midwest. So I was like, oh, drumstick will work. That's dick shape. That's kind of what I'm into. It did not feel good. It was not something I ever tried to get. I was like, that's not. That's not where that belongs. That's not where that goes. First thing that I did find that worked was actually... Reverting back to boxers, I used to sniff boxers. I really, really enjoyed the smell of like somebody just coming from the gym and smelling my boxers. It was my own for the first couple times, but then it was like after once I started having sex, it was like, oh, I can sniff, I can sniff your boxers. We just went for a bike ride. I'm really into that. That smells really good. Just the hot sweatiness of another man. It was just like, oh, that's a good brand. Yeah, I just love that clip because it's so much about how hardwired we are and what we think of as being attractive. It's just haphazardly like falling into things that turn you on without <laughs> expecting it. Well, or with it no, without even knowing what's going on, you're like, well, why do I think that this 
goofy weirdo at McDonald's, the manager, is hot. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It just makes my stomach feel weird. And <laughs> <Yes>. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> like, what, what was a, an early flirtation you had where you were like, hmm, what's going on um, here? I definitely loved growing up in the 80s. Um, although I wasn't aware that it was just the 80s when I was growing up. But, <laughs> you know, tight Jordache jeans mm. and tight Wranglers were um, definitely everywhere. I mean, guys had to use pliers to zip their zippers they were so <laughs> tight and all you could see was just bulge and yeah. beautiful asses walking around and um yeah it was super distracting all the time to <laughs> was like, this in texas yeah 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 they like their tight blue they jeans. they love so. their tight blue jeans and i wore them too mm-hmm. it was ridiculous but uh yeah i think that was the first thing that i remember is just i've always enjoyed a a healthy bulge. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Right. <laughs> when I see a jogger running down the street now, I, <laughs> I might check that out. And are you a boxers or a briefs guy? Uh, so if I wear underwear, <laughs> I, I do enjoy briefs uh, because of the, I don't know, I just like the old school aesthetic yeah. of them. I wear a lot of jock straps, though. Mm. Um, I find them to be like the most comfortable. Um, I wore boxers. You know what's weird is under those tight, tight blue jeans, I was wearing boxers like so many other guys. Yeah. Which is crazy because they just bunched up and wadded up and you were constantly trying to yeah. even them out. But, um, you know, we didn't know any better. Fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Texas fashion. Texas fashion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love that story, though. Yeah. Of, like, randomly trying to put a drumstick up your ass. I... I <laughs> Um, I, I didn't know you could put things in your butt um, when I was growing up, but I did try to put my dick in anything that it would fit in. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like everything that mm-hmm. it could possibly fit in, I put my dick in. What's the weirdest thing you ever put your dick um, in? The p- <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I thought like uh, having it sucked on by the pool vacuum oh, would no. feel good. No, and it doesn't yeah. at all. It's a very strong suction. <laughs> And uh, I was just really happy that no one was home when, when I when I attempted that. Oh, God. There was a blood-curdling scream. <laughs> yeah. And I kinked the line and finally got free. But um, <laughs> that might have broken me of, like, putting my dick in random things. Yeah, I stick to people now. That's probably best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. This next clip is my friend George, who is describing his best move. My best move in bed. Um, hmm. The thing that I do that gets the most results is taking my clothes off. That almost always works. No, there, there are a couple of things which I really like to do, which are like part of the staple. I quite like to keep my underwear on for just a little bit and like uh, kind of writhe around and then get to a point where I'm like there lying on the bed and I stand over them and have them like pulled my underwear down. Because normally what happens is they slip it over my ass, they're like, ooh, ass. And then they pull it down, and like finally, like as they pull these like tiny tight briefs off me, my dick just like like explodes out and like flops around. And they all do the same thing, they go, oh. Um, so that's nice. It's a nice like reveal. Love a good reveal. Um, but then I think I think my personal favorite move is to like slap my dick on their face, just like, I 
quite hard as well. It's like bam, 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 bam. Uh, it's a little bit painful. It's a little bit surprising, but it's like very dominating. You know, just like, and then just like plunge it into their mouth, and it it works. I can only speak from my own sexual experience, but like power dynamics are so strong and so like dominating someone, like physically overpowering them, like. Slapping them around a bit with a dick, uh, that works. Just like uh, flipping someone or like picking them up, that's pretty powerful. I once hooked up with this guy who, I, was, I told him, you know, I want you to be rough. And, uh, and then we were kind of, it was kind of midway through and I was like, I thought I told you I wanted you to be rough with me. And he's like, I thought I was. And I was like, no. And he literally just picked me up and just like threw me down on the bed. And I swear my asshole just went, <laughs> I was ready. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah, that was really hot. Being dominated is sexy. Dominating someone is, is always sexy. So, yeah. To pretend that you've come, right? And then, especially when you're topping, pretend you've come and then keep going for like a minute or two and then actually come because then your bottom's like, <laughs> like they think they got the like deluxe service. Um, I've done that a couple times, and uh, yeah, they always call back. They always call back. You know what? It actually happened the first time because like I was really close, and so I was making all the noises, and it sounded. I thought I was going to come, and I just didn't for some reason, and like it went away for a bit. So I just kept on like grinding away, but like I kind of committed to the fact that I was probably going to come, and so. I just like theatrically climaxed and then just kept on pumping away until, until it actually did. And then it was all the sweeter, so yeah. But that, that played out very well. I think of all the questions I ask, I love best move the best I, that was the one that shocked me the most when you asked me that <laughs> and I, I had to think for a second <laughs> but i like that he is so confident yes he, <laughs> he knows he knows what he's doing he knows what people like and it works out for him george had swagger yeah he sure does <laughs> <laughs> and self-confidence mm -hmm. <laughs> but i also like his move because it's like a playful form of dominance um and one that is definitely from a tops sort of point of view but it's also one where the bottom isn't really at risk of physically being harmed oh no it's more of a mental no. unless unless your dick is really <laughs> rock hard um it's not going to really hurt anyone if you're slapping them on the face with yeah it. i think he's right about that i think a lot <laughs> of guys like a dick upside the face yeah yeah who doesn't? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not something that, like, a lot of us would think of when we think of a move. And that's why I like the question so much, is because I do encourage people to kind of think about the whole act of sex, both foreplay and after, and, and even leading up to the bedroom. Like, I feel like that's where somebody might have uh, a method or something that puts people at ease or... Hey, you might be right. There's not a lot of attention uh, when you're talking about the sex act with people. There's not a lot of attention put on the foreplay. Yeah. Which is really 
the most important part. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you do that wrong, the sex doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Or it might not happen. Or it might not happen in, in the a way, way that, that is fun. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. That sets the tone. Yes. For the whole event. I think that's why I like George's, is because it's it's really about setting the tone. and It does sound playful, like his sexy striptease and... Yeah. putting someone's eye out with his dick <laughs> <laughs> I mean it does sound like a good time <laughs> alright our next clip is Gabe who's talking about his first times and how each of them is a unique experience which is also very common with a lot of my interviews where I ask what your first time is like often people's first question is which one so, I like Gabe's collection of first times here. Um, personally, for me, my first time was, I would say, three separate instances. Um, and one was, like, vacation Bible camp with this boy. And we were both counselors, and we locked ourselves in the bathroom. And he tried to stick it in me didn't really work. Um, so I consider that one of them. That one was when I was 17. But my first real one when I was 18, uh, I went on Craigslist and was looking for like a daddy. And he picked me up one night and we sucked each other off in the car, in his car. And then the next morning he picked me up and took, he took me to his house. And then he fucked me. Um, I did not like to bottom. I didn't know how to prepare. I was not prepared. It just hurt. And I really wanted to get through it really quickly. It was not enjoyable. It was not hot. He was sexy. I wanted him. Like, sucking him off was fun. Having all the foreplay moment was fun. And I kept remembering, remembering like, his dog kept barking. And it was super annoying. And in, like, interfaces and no finesse. Like, I told him that I was a virgin, and I'd always wanted to be fucked. Um, and then, not to mention, after that, I was only a top for about two years. Because it was just such a painful experience. And then, another daddy showed me the way. <laughs> Ooh, mm. Okay, so this guy was, like, tan and had the whole underwear, like, white butt. Oh, it was so... He was so hot. And he finally came to town. We'd been chatting for a long time. And he came back to town. And uh, he was only a top, but he's like, God, your cock is great. Like, I would love you for you to fuck me. And I was like, okay, great. So I did. And so I fucked him. And he's like, do you ever bottom? And I said, no. And he's like, do you like to bottom? I was like, no, I hate it. And I described to him my past experience. And he's like, well, it does not sound like he knew how to fuck you at all. And so I was like, okay. And he's like, go in the bathroom. I have a setup. He's like, do you know how to use this? And I was like, uh, I think I've used it like once before. I used his bulb, cleaned out, and then came back. And he's like, he had, he had a pretty big cock too. It was very similar to the, guy, like the first guy who fucked me. And he's like was talking me through every single moment that was going on. He's like, all right, put the head in. And he just kind of like, he's like, every inch he would just let me take it. And he's like, open up. And like, for some reason I had this instinct 
it's natural instinct like just literally opened up my hole and he's like just push out push out and like let me in and then I remember he was just like clench really tight and then you'll get used to me and then he still fucked me for like an hour and uh, it was very great it was just like I fucking get it this is so good Uh, it was uh, a magical evening I just like that story because it illustrates how important it is to have somebody who knows what they're doing when you first are exploring. Yeah, you know? I want to give props to that second daddy. Right? Yeah, it's very important. I also want to like admonish the first guy who sure. clearly was not taking the responsibility that you need to have when you're dealing with somebody who's not used to bottoming. Um, and it just makes me sad. When, when I hear stories like that. I, I love that he gave it a second try. Yeah. <laughs> and the well, guy was patient with him. Mm-hmm. And, like, talked him through it. And he ended up really enjoying it. Yeah. I know? like hearing um, Gabe's point of view because mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've walked a few people through that yeah. process in my lifetime. And I, I hope that they have the same like experience <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you're very patient uh i can be uh, but yeah no i i love that i love that story yeah i'm glad gabe found his his daddy <laughs> that his natural instincts took over <laughs> that's adorable <laughs> i mean it is adorable because like so much of butt fucking really isn't natural no um, and it's a mental game for it is sure. especially for the bottom mm-hmm for the for the top, I feel like we are built to fuck holes, kind of like what you were describing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that just just sort of built in to our DNA to be a bottom. I have such deep respect for for absolutely bottoms. The links that some of them go to to be ready for you at the end of the night. I know like, it's it's a an act of dedication. My my and should be uh, celebrated. Yes, <laughs> and never shamed. And also the ones who are just good to go whenever. I, the unicorns? Yeah. They're amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. God bless them. <laughs> I was like, how do you do that? <laughs> don't ask. You don't, don't break the magic. <laughs> it's, the, it's their secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> this next clip is from Sam, who's describing what he's learned over the years and, and some valuable insight he's gotten into identity and attraction. Something that I wish that I had known back in the beginning of exploring sex and sexuality was the fact that I could actually kind of be a gay man someday. In some ways, I don't identify as gay or as male, but like that I could be with gay men sexually is something that I never thought was possible. So that it would have been awesome to know. It probably would have blown my mind. Um, the second thing is that um, I wish that I had known that we don't have to make rules for ourselves. Um, you don't have to be in a particular box or like a particular thing or be relegated to a particular type of sexual practice based on who you are um, and the sex you were assigned at birth and the gender that you present as. Um, it took a long time to unpack all that stuff. Uh, so, like, 
because I present in a masculine way, when I was female identified, people assumed that I was a top. People assumed that I was into femmes, neither of which are true at all. And it was complicated. And I tried to like fit myself into different boxes. So I wish I had known that I didn't really have to do that. And that if I'm just the most genuine version of myself, the most authentic, that things fall into place. I really like that last sentence. If you just be your most authentic, genuine self, that everything falls into place. Mm -hmm. It definitely feels true to me as well. Well, I think at some point, every queer person has to kind of accept that. Because our early parts of our lives, I think we are forced into an identity that's not ours because of society, because of our gender, you know? And, and at some point, we have to sort of break free. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of time, like, hiding who you are and mm -hmm. what you feel and what you think. And, uh, and when you blow that door open and, and you just uh, enjoy yourself for who you are, it feels so good. And I have such a deep respect for trans people because they have to break through even additional Absolutely. barriers. I, and, and I love what Sam says about how people made all these assumptions about him based on his butch right. identity. And, and yeah, you, you don't have to really play by anyone else's rules except for the ones you want to make for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, I do have a lot of respect. Because if I, if I don't tell someone I'm gay... Mm -hmm. They don't mostly know, yeah, <laughs> unless they've seen me online. Right, <laughs> but I, I think I can slip through society pretty easily, and I, I think about that a lot, like how hard it would be, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I mean, it's so brave to live your life that openly and, and be exactly who you want to be. Yeah, but I mean, I want to just say how amazing I think it is that you like told your dad what you do that takes a certain amount of bravery you know i i i, I never would have called him up and told him it just right. happened in the moment and and i will say that it feels so good to have that it was the only person that i've been worried about this yeah. whole time like what will he think mm -hmm. um i mean it didn't stop me from doing it but it was in the back of my mind yeah and and to now have that um question answered i mean and that's more of just being who you are and you know, it's easier as an adult <laughs> yeah. to tell your parents who exactly you are and what you want to do. But mm -hmm. I'm not resistant to telling my parents what I'm doing with this project. I'm very proud of what I'm doing. I think it's a wonderful thing you're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the, the future, the potential of it all. But um, I guess my hesitancy is based on what I assume will be their reaction to doing a project that is focused so much on sex. Um, because that is just something we do not talk about, you know? So the yeah. fact that which you Which is like, why this podcast is so important. I know. <laughs> well, it's also why I think it's, it makes me feel more confident about having that conversation with them, knowing that you were able to, come out to your dad yeah. as a porn and he's a maker he's a macho texas football coach yeah i was i was very surprised but and and because i told myself in my head so many times what he would say mm -hmm. uh, what but, did you think he would say oh i just thought he i probably thought he'd be very disappointed mm. you know oh you you know 
I, I think a lot of tapes played in my head from back when I was in high school, and yeah, we had some problems when they found out I was gay, mm-hmm. and some of the things that you know were talked about then about being unhappy and being alone, and oh right, you know, you know parents, that's their first thing. Yes, you'll always be unhappy and you'll always be alone, and um, turns out that's not true. Mm-hmm. I, I have the best friends I've ever had here in Seattle. I think one reason why I might be hesitant to tell my parents about this is that when I first came out to them, one of the first things my mom said to me was, don't make your sexuality the focus of your life. Like, (laughs) do something... Like, it could just be a part of your life. And I understand why she said that, but I'm an artist, and it is really important to me that I describe my my life and my perspective through my art and i feel like that that's what this project is doing so i really can't separate the two they're so closely connected uh, my identity and also my my artistic ambition so oh well (laughs) it's um well it's been a fun process like watching you do this Mm. and i feel like you're more open than you used to be when i I first met you yeah yeah. I can be a k- kind of a shy person. You had a little Midwest edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a brand. <laughs> no, but I, I'm definitely the most open sexual person from my family. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they're all not telling you yeah. <laughs> what's going on. I don't want to even think about that. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me ask you all these questions and for co-hosting our season one wrap-up um i'm so grateful for you that you were able to do this and also that you were in my original core group of interviewees <laughs> well it's, it's been fun I, I always enjoy it and you're always welcome back to co-host anytime <laughs> happy to hear it <laughs> all right well that's it for this episode our next episode will be the beginning of season two which will feature an even more expanded list of questions and uh, more in-depth interviews so join us for that thanks a lot well it was inevitable due to quote unquote community standards Facebook and Instagram have made it nearly impossible for us to promote Fruit Bowl via official pages and paid posts, most likely because our podcast is for mature audiences. Thanks, Mark Fuckerberg. So we have to rely more on word of mouth. If you're enjoying Fruit Bowl, please tell a friend and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This really helps our program get recommended more. Other platforms that are more welcoming to our sexy content include Twitter and Patreon, where for a small monthly subscription fee, you can hear podcasts before they're posted publicly, along with exclusive outtakes from interviews and co-hosting sessions. I also post behind-the-scenes photos and production journals from places like San Francisco and New York City. This winter, I'm planning on visiting Los Angeles and possibly Austin, Texas. So if you or anyone you know of might be interested in being interviewed in places like LA or Austin, please reach out to me via Twitter or our email portal at fruitbowlpodcast.com and let me know if you'd like to arrange an interview. This has been a Fruit Bowl production. All rights reserved. For more information, please visit fruitbowlpodcast.com.